ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Rush Shaw. This is Season Zero, Episode Number Six. ASI247.org is the website. Uh, my email address is Russ at ASI247.org. Doing a, a little email response show today. Um, Alright, stop the music for a second. Alright, just stop. What if your daughter, what if my daughter found out that you, dad, guys, men who are listening, fathers who are listening, um, what if your little girl found out you were a sex addict? and started to do some research on the subject and found out that there was a podcast that reaches out to sex addicts and then wrote in to such a podcast. What if my daughter wrote in to someone like me, someone who's seen some recovery and um, wanted some answers, wanted some hope, you know... What if your daughter, what if my daughter... I got an email from a, a listener just like that. And I'm going to talk about that today. Sobering topic. Because when I, when I was just holding my daughter in my arms for the first time, just looking down at this little miracle. And for me, I was maybe a year clean from a pretty nasty amphetamine addiction. Um... I believe I was a little over a year clean when, when my daughter was born. But this explosion of love and like fear, right? Like this is my little girl and I'm going to love and protect her. And then the erosion of time, you know, the, the circumstances and, and the pressures of life and you know, uh, I was going to be her protector. I was going to be her anchor. You know, it's uh, the music started right, and and I heard this that you know, and it just didn't feel right. Like, hold on, stop the music a second. I got to unpack a little of this because that song, that lyrics have weight to them. They got weight to them. Isn't She Lovely, which is a punk cover of a Stevie Wonder song that came out in 1976. And that was about the birth of his daughter. Um, wow, that's, that's loud right there. Did you hear that? That's a big old truck driver. That's his, that's his Jake break right there. Uh, but he didn't hit anybody. Anyway. So, yeah, I'm recording this in my car again today, so there may be some distracting noises in the background, but uh, 
Don't let that get to you. This is uh, this is reality radio. <laughs> I don't know. Instead of reality TV, this is reality audio, right? Anyway, where was I? Stevie Wonder. That's right. That wasn't Stevie Wonder though. That was a punk cover by Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. <laughs> if that's not a name for a punk rock band, I don't know what is. Right? That's uh. Anyway, they, that's very a pretty old cover, but anyway, just feeling a little nostalgic because of my interview with Jeff Becker on the last podcast. Feeling a little lighter of spirit today. As I'm recording this, it is April 19th, 2016, and uh, it's been a, a crazy weekend, man. My... Uh, my friend Leo passed away. Um, Leo Leo was a guest on the show back in February 2013. Um, episode five of season three. Uh, this man blessed my life uh, immensely. He spoke to me at a time. There's a bunch of times where I was doing this podcast. And I stopped doing it for seasons, uh, months at a time. And in one of those seasons, it was me really struggling with... uh, This is when Mars Hill just started to go south, right? Mars Hill Church that I was a part of in Seattle. This big mega church that just no longer exists anymore because of uh, crazy... It's a long story. I'm not going to go into it. Anyway, um, so Leo... My friend Leo, he's one of those guys that I connected with in group because he's gritty. Um, He also had some chemical substance abuse issues in his past, crack cocaine. He was arrested. Um, The cop that arrested him was in his life, right, Towards, towards the end. I didn't see him at the funeral. There was about 150 people at his funeral. It, there was a lot. It was great, and it was at Foundation Church, which is the the church that took over in Everett for the Mars Hill, and, and it was just like Leo was this repairman his whole life. He was this maintenance guy, and and it was almost like repairing some of those relationships. But he's one of these guys who really spoke into my life that really was able to be good cop and bad cop for me, right? Like, he would call me out on some of my shit, and I would, I would like, respect him for it. Because that's what kind of guy he was. And because he was pretty open about his own stuff, right? Um, I met his daughter for the first time. His daughter's name was Summer, and she, uh, she was there. And he spoke really highly of her throughout his life. He would... He would talk about his daughter and how he wanted to be there for her more and and love her more. Let her know that she's known and loved more than she knows, you know, by her creator. But also Leo. Leo wanted, you know, he had this... It's, it's funny, like we have our sons. I have a son too. Leo has a son and a daughter. Uh... But our daughters, that there's that relationship with our daughters that is emotional, and, and and yeah, maybe women are more 
emotional than men. I don't know, but there's this thing between dads and daughters. It's sacred. It's it's valuable. It's it's treasure. But in a strange way, because our own you know personalities or egos, we try and control. We try and keep everything okay, keep everything right. And, you know, I mean, it's almost cliche in culture today to be the overbearing dad saying, who's that dating my daughter? Like, you know, like we're, uh, I don't know. It's not relationally understanding, I guess, at least here in American culture. I don't know some of you guys in the rest of the world listening, but in my culture, the dads are the protector and the, you know, when the boy comes to meet the girl, it's always, he's grilled like, you know, some job interview or something. And some of that's good, right? But the overbearingness of it, I think, is is where that connection is lost. And, and maybe there's an element of comedy in there that we're trying to, trying to portray. But you see what I'm saying, right? Like, it's no mystery in culture that there's this disconnect maybe, this uh, relational strain to use those words between dads and daughters um, and, and, w- and we could do maybe a little more work relationally to help strengthen these things. So anyway what I'm trying to, to get out here, my point is I've, I've talked about guys with like Leo speaking into my life Leo and I talking about it Leo and I in groups at Mars Hill, this kind of recovery kind of thing, and and it was it was us speaking into to those relationships, and those relationships with other men. Um, anyway, so my point, sorry, getting to the point here. I received an email from a daughter whose dad is is a sex addict, whose dad confessed who the bomb went off for this family. And uh, it just about took the wind out of me to hear it from her perspective. And, and not because her, her story is super unique. I mean, it's unique to everybody. Everybody, I don't want to diminish that. Like, it, her story to her is very, very personal. And her family going through this is very, very real. But this is happening all over the place. This is happening in the millions, in the hundreds of thousands in my country, if not millions. How do we respond? How do we respond, right? And the one thing, looking back at my relationship with my daughter and how when the bomb went off for me, and the bomb kept going off, all right? My kids dealt with a lot of relational strain and heartache. Um, Us fighting, them seeing us fight, our inability to communicate and and, and come to healthy conflict resolution over the years. And my porn problems over the years were just fuel on that fire. And then in 2006, when I had actually confessed how really bad it was, was because I could no longer hold this basketball underwater of 
the serial adulterous relationships I had over the years. It's how bad this sexual compulsion got for me. Um, it must have been hell on my kids. I mean, not to mention my wife, of course, and I've talked about that a lot in past shows, but, but my daughter especially. Because I told her, you know, over the years, over and over again, those words, I love you, honey. Dad loves you very much. Those words are very true. But in the relational paradigm of a bomb going off, you know, my... Today, my, my drive and my waking up to some of this is seeing the relational consequences of valuing a statement like I love you in today. I think numbing our pain is this, this kind of unconscious sort of ghost-like attitude where we start haunting our own lives. We're not, we're not actually living our lives, we're just haunting our lives by filling it with porn or drink or whatever it is we're trying are we trying to numb ourselves um, when my friend passed away Leo uh, that's another thing there's another podcast that I started as kind of an experiment it's got a lot of clips from this podcast it's called uh, ASI deepest cuts uh, I, I did it as an experiment on SoundCloud to kind of test how their RSS feed works uh, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. So I, I have some snippets of the podcast on that podcast, on that aggregate, as we call it. Uh, if you want to search that out, I believe it's on iTunes and Stitcher and every, everything else as well. Uh, Russ Shaw's Deepest Cuts. And it has a picture of me holding a butter knife, which I thought was funny. Uh, but I share the day Leo died. I, I, I kind of I wanted to share on that and I did how I felt because I am really good at not wanting to feel and I'm not very good at grieving losses and my friend dying I just was like the Holy Spirit and I my, my spirit are, are almost watching me in my behavior going through this grieving process with my friend you know and how good I am at turning up the noise, listening to really loud music for half the day, and I'm like, what? Wait a minute, what am I doing? Right? Like, I'm am I just turning up the noise? Am I just trying to drown out this this feeling of loss? And I just had to feel it, you know. I put on that song by by Eric Church, "A Man Who's Gonna Die Young," and and that song. Um, brought me to tears because Leo was another one of those guys. Like Leo was a guy like me. He was a crackhead, man. He had addiction, chemical issues before behavioral stuff. He was a deacon at Mars Hill. He was involved in redemption groups and grace groups and um, just a great guy. I mean, he had this gift where he could be both the good cop and the bad cop and people respected him for it. I put together a music montage with Leo's voice from that episode it was emotional man and I wept and I cried and it was good I'm a man right I'm a I'm a dude but I'll tell you something it's good to let yourself cry 
when there's a loss. Because in the past, I would try and stuff it, man. I would try and I would try and smother it. I would try and cover it with with different colors of wrapping paper or whatever, right? Loud noises, uh, party. Uh, no, I'm gonna let myself feel this, and that's different than the old me. And uh, I, I just wanted to share that before I get into this email because it's probably going to make me cry too. <laughs> and it kind of did when I first read it. I mean, these these emails back and forth with this listener, I'm I was I was in tears at times. Uh, I'm in tears more often now. That's something to look forward to. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how some of you guys feel about that. I don't know. I don't want to be soft. I don't want to be weak. You know what weakness is? Weakness is the guy who keeps covering his sadness or his sin, right? And not letting it be learning to grieve, you know, learning to grieve again. So, so that's been good news. Um, Again, that's why I love that movie Inside Out so much, right? Inside Out, this film, the Disney Pixar, it's it's a movie about this little girl's emotions, right? I mean, the characters in the film are her emotions. So it's it's fear, sadness, disgust, and joy. And somewhere along the way, joy and sadness get taken out of the picture for a little while, right? Like they they get removed from this control room, you know, if you think of, of the little girl in the film, uh, Riley, her, like, kind of like her head, her emotions are sort of like the Star Trek, right, kind of a thing, like, there's the bridge, and they're, they're, you know, controlling her, her emotions on the bridge while she's living her life, and, and joy and sadness get, uh, I won't give it away, but they get removed from this picture, and I, I I think that's a big part of what addicts do. You know, you hear so much with with, with uh, if you've been in any kind of recovery group, or you know that song uh, Johnny Cash covered. Trent Reznor wrote this song called "Hurt" about his recovery from heroin addiction. Uh, it's funny, Trent Reznor after Johnny Cash covered that song. Trent said, that's no longer my song, you know, it was my words, but Johnny, emotionally, it hit the nail on the head when he covered that song, Hurt, and there's a line in that song, you know, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel, right, and that's what, you know, that movie's about, it's about emotions, again, Sadness, and this is a brilliant, a brilliant part of this film. The character sadness in the film is not the bad guy. Is she's not the, she's not the, uh, the one that you know. Ooh, stay away, or we we need to not have any sadness. We try and distance ourselves from sadness, and the the facts are that when you don't feel anything, it's because sadness isn't there. It's because joy isn't there. It's because, you know, we're just running on fear, anger, and disgust most of the time. And 
sometimes, you know, some of this just radical, hurtful, unhealthy, destructive, reckless sexual behavior can be a way to feel something. I want to feel something, man. Because we're not connected, we're not in touch with our our sadness and our joy. Um, and that was kind of the conflict in the film, is that memories were represented by these little spheres, right? These balls that would roll around and, and there was these core memories, the, you know, identity formation that were made up who Riley was and and when sadness touched those core memories, they turned blue. And Joy had issues with that, right? Like, I don't want him to turn blue. You're turning him blue. What are you doing? Don't touch those memories. And for me in my story now, um, my memories with Leo, I'm letting myself remember them. I'm letting them be blue, right? And that's okay. It's okay to experience some sadness, man. Just let yourself be sad for a while, maybe, right? It's okay. Don't try and cover it. Don't try and react. Don't try and act out. Just stay in the moment. Be sad for a little while. I heard a study. I actually posted it on my Facebook page. I have a, a Facebook page called Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection. Um, the idea is what if culture has redefined this word that we call love into the word affection? You know, it's in Western culture, you know, I, I love basketball, for example, right? I love burritos and I love my wife. Like it's, it's different. There's different, that's very different. So my affection for my wife is not the same as my affection for, say, beer or football, right? And you know, the theory is, what if people don't fall out of love? What if that's a myth? What if people fall out of affection? And part of my worldview as a, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, as a believer in this Trinitarian God, the, the three that are one, you know, if you look at, here's some, here's some metaphysical stuff for you. If you look at the makeup of an atom, proton, electron, neutrons, three, man. We, we live in a universe built of three. And this Trinitarian God of ours defines love differently than affection. Love is probably the most powerful force in the universe. Love never quits. Love never dies. Love will live on in our memories and in our legacy in the lives of others. Love love is not affection. Love love when we are in love in that kind of way, in that worldview, we can fall out of affection. And we can stay and persevere in that relationship until affection returns. So that's the idea behind the heart, mind, love, sex, and affection. Uh, I shared an, an article on there uh, by a neuroscientist who's a, a behavioral psychologist and a evolutionary biologist 
talking about how, um, and I, I first heard this from a guy named Richard Rohr, who's a uh, Franciscan priest in the Catholic Church. I know, I know, right? Uh, here's a Catholic guy that I may actually like. <laughs> I better, I better watch out. I still have my issues with the Catholic Church. I still think that they have a lot of work to do in gaining back the trust of hurting souls. But uh, yeah, Richard Rohr, uh, I'm, I'm liking some of his stuff. But he said uh, he's one that shared this, and, and the guy. So the guy's a neuroscientist and a counselor. And he was um, sharing this research that was done about the negative thoughts that we have and how they are like Velcro, right? So he did this analogy where, um, in the article, I can't remember the guy who wrote the article, but it's on my Facebook page, so there you go. The source is there. Uh, He said that, Negative thoughts are sort of like Velcro, and they stick to our minds about that quickly, and they and they and they're hard to rip off, right? But positive, joyful, um, beautiful experiences are more like Teflon. He said, in order for a positive experience to make an imprint on our consciousness, right? These joyful things, this a piece of music, a beautiful sunrise, or looking at your baby daughter, right? Um, All of these things in life that that we can be grateful for, you know? I talk about that in the podcast sometimes, how how gratitude is a uh, a heart condition and a act of worship. Um, That's part of my worldview. Um, music, right? Worship isn't the music at church. It's not the pageantry. It is life. It is you experiencing and enjoying your life. And when there's something good, we, we stop for a moment and soak it in. And that's basically what he was saying, that um, a positive experience, a, a good experience, a beautiful experience... A, a, the gratitude takes about 15 seconds. It takes between 5 and 15 seconds, is what this neuroscientist said, for us to enjoy something, to ponder something, to take it in before it will imprint. It's really interesting. But the negative stuff, the people that hurt you, that stuff sticks right away. I've I've got hundreds of positive emails. But the one negative email, I'm I'm sitting there, you know, uh, you know, digesting that thing over and over again, right? I'm thinking on it. I'm going, uh I mean, the person that hurt you 20 years ago, you're still like, I mean, this stuff leaves marks. So I, I thought that was really interesting and is has everything to do with this this discussion and and how uh, I've processed the last years, man. It's another passion for doing this podcast, man. I don't want you guys to have to go through the amount of years, years and years that I went through, not 
going on this adventure, this journey of change and growth and um, challenging my own heart condition. All right, if that makes sense. And listen, it's not like I agree with everything Richard Rohr says, all right? But one thing that he talks about that I found very intriguing is that idea, right? This, okay, if, if the blessings in our lives are things that we have to spend a few seconds contemplating, right? Meditating on. See, that was the thing that really frustrated me um, was my inability to meditate. As an ADHD guy, you know, there's all these different disciplines and just slow yourself down. Count your breath and it just, it was very frustrating. Um, and I know frustration is birthed out of unmet expectations, right? <laughs> so that's something I've learned in this process, dealing with my anger, that, that truth. If I am continually unable to do this meditation thing, then there must be something else to it. And, and Richard Rohr talks about contemplation, taking time to feel like gratitude, this gratitude movement, taking time to feel the blessings in your life. It's beautiful and it heals. So this has been some of the camp that I've been in, you know, is thinking on legacy and how I've loved my kids, my wife, my kids, but my, my daughter especially. Um, how, how is my relationship with her going to play out in this color spectrum of time? Um, turn the car off a minute I'm in a parking lot at T-Mobile legacy is something I think about you know again I'm not some accomplished writer or thinker or theologian I'm sitting here in my cyber taxi waiting for uh, tech workers at a cellular phone company or data company, I don't know what you would call it nowadays, to get off work. I'm not Mr. Intellectual, right? But I, I am going to work hard. I do love my family. And I know that someday my daughter may listen to this here podcast and hear my voice right now at some point when I've passed on, you know? This is this is kind of for her. Um, some of the passion of, of why I do this crazy podcast because it's not something that I, I want to advertise to, to family. Um, but it's emails like this that bring legacy and my love for my little girl into perspective. You know. This letter was sent to me by someone I will call Miss K. And she writes, Hi Russ, I started listening to your blog a few weeks after my father openly confessed to myself, my mother, and my two sisters of his more than 10-year struggles 
participating in acts of sexual sin. I was overwhelmed and searching for a place to hear his perspective and gain wisdom on how to approach him with this new upsetting identity. Coming across your podcast was exactly what I needed. Since then, I have kept up with your podcast, eager to gain more insight and understanding for the man he is and the road of restoration he has ahead, if he so chooses. Um, and I was thinking about this, and as I'm reading it, thinking about my daughter writing to someone like myself, just trying to understand her dad, you know? I would love to pass along an episode of your podcast to him and wanted to know if you had an episode that best covers the information you would want a man just revealing his secrets and refusing the need for change and repentance to hear. Thank you for your time, Russ. I am praying your experience, godly wisdom, and journey could be a very needed light in my father's dark world right now. Similarly, thank you for podcasting, and I hope knowing that your insight is helping me in my own journey, being the daughter of an addict, is just another small piece of motivation to continue the work that you do. Thank you, Miss Kay, and yes, it means more than a little uh, fuel for her to keep doing this. Um, I would say to your dad, and I'm not going to yell or should and ought to on him, you know, because I don't know him well enough. But I will say this. I can say that there's certain scriptures. Part of my recovery was learning to trust God. Um, Stephen Kewen, another friend, he wrote a book called The Ten Lies Men Believe About Porn. And he has this thing called, what's the one thing, Russ? Like, what's the one thing you would tell someone who's struggling with pornography addiction or sexual addiction to, to help them in their journey? And my one thing was this. Is God good? Question mark, right? Is God good? And that's part of this journey of mine was to set out to find out, is God good? Can I trust him? Does he want good for me? Some of the things I found was uh, John 10.10 is a verse that I hold on to. It's He says that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and I come that they have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus speaking of this abundant life. Jesus talking about, are you heavy burdened? Uh, come to me with your heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. These are matters of faith. And it's not that we don't have faith. We do have faith. Everything we do is based on faith to a certain degree. Yes, we have theories and there's certain evidences. Like you get in your car, you drive to work, you, you got faith that when you show up at work, you're going to have a job. Um, but it's, there's no guarantees, is there? There's no guarantees you, you even show up at work. So we, we live lives based on faith and evidence. 
and I would pray and ask God and I would seek godly counsel and I would find like-minded people who were struggling in the same area. I had to get over myself and that's, uh, I, I think that's another thing I would say to this man um, if I knew his daughter and I, and I feel I do a little, right? I do. Because I know my own daughter. She's seen me change. And she's seen me get into recovery. She's seen me fight against the demons. My own demons. And she's seen me stop living this life of isolation. Um, another guest I had on the show was a guy named Nate Larkin. He wrote a book called Samson and the Pirate Monks. And in that book he does this beautiful... Um, description and taking these two men's lives, Samson and David, both men in the Old Testament, both manly men, right? One of them was ended his story by grinding away on a mill, you know, just pushing this thing round in circles, round and round in this existential, meaningless nothingness, Right? Until the point where he gets to this place where he can knock down the temple and destroy everyone in it, himself included, like a, a suicide bomber. You know, he felt that was his will, and and that was God's will. But again, that that's weird, right? Um, David, however, had a different relationship with God. David sought out godly counsel. God, David found other men to walk this journey out with. David didn't stay isolated and alone. Um, Samson was easily manipulated and easily tricked because of his sex addiction, right? And because of his shallow relationship with Delilah. And the, the story is, is amazing if you get a chance to, to read it. Um... I want to be my little girl's hero, and the best that I I have is that she uh, she's seen me change some. And I just pray that it would be more. I could pray that I that I would be more, and that I would be more of someone she can confide in. And thank you, Miss K, so much. And thank you for everyone that emails this podcast, um, Russ at asi two four seven dot org. Sometimes I feel. I really do. It it is like fuel, you know. I talk about being a co-producer and this the show needing money, but if this if anything's impacting you, um, reaching out to someone, telling your story, it it does, man. My my heart fills up with joy, and I'll be honest, it's the reason I keep doing this. If this was just some hobby or something, I would have given up on it a long time ago. But the fact that it does make a, a good ripple effect in the world is, is why I, I continue. That's something my daughter said. She played a song by, uh, she said, You're, this song reminds me of you, Dad. And it's uh, the song by the chemical, My Chemical Romance. And it's, uh, it's called the uh, uh, Black Parade, you know. Here, I'll, I'll play a little bumper for you. When I was a young boy, my father took me in 
the city to see a marching band. He said, Son, when you grow up, would you be the savior of the broken, the beaten, and the damned? He said, Will you defeat them, your demons, and all the non believers? The plans and shared that with me, you know, not just for the podcast here, but also um, some of my recovery from drug addiction in the past as well. Uh, I don't see myself as savior though, right? I'm not the savior of the damned. Um, Jesus is. Jesus is my personal savior. Um, I don't just say that to to pump up my religion or to say my worldview is better than anybody else's. I'm just telling you that my story with Jesus Christ, my relationship with with him, my faith in this Trinitarian God of the universe is is bigger than religion. Alright? And I, I, I did ask about her dad and and how if he's a Christian and, and she said yes um, I would say to him, if, if he was listening, I guess, and I've talked to a lot of guys, I've been in groups, and I've, I've sat with other men who struggle in this area, and one of the things that I really want to get across, and, I, and I've put it into this word uh, that I've been calling grace consciousness lately, that a lot of us feel we know the Bible, we know the gospel, you know, Jesus died for my sins, you know, and we know substitutionary atonement. People use those words as some kind of a theological kind of formula. Like your relationship with God is some kind of a math problem that you have to figure out. It's just not. Your relationship with the creator of the universe, you are loved more than you can fathom. And yes, hard things happen we get damaged, we get hurt, the cracks in our souls are our glory, all right? I know that's a hard thing to hear. I, I heard that from another guy. He's like this, one of the the Christian mystics talks about the, the fact that our glory is in our wounds, and, and as they scar over from the great healer, because first our wounds put cracks in this shell around our hearts and that's where God moves in that's where God moves in um, if it wasn't for my relationship with God and God chose me my friend Leo said that too you know I'm, I put together pictures last night for his funeral and thinking about my own legacy and and he said that in that interview back in 2013 that I did with Leo. He he said, God chose me. Uh, it wasn't me doing the choosing. I didn't, you know, go do the altar call thing or 
it, it was God chose me. God followed me. God, every time I tried to run from him, Jesus was right there. And, and I pray that you realize that, that this isn't, I'm not right. This isn't religion I'm talking about here. This is the reality of your relationship with your creator. And it, the cross is this example of Jesus putting to death that, that fleshy ego thing. Right, an example of Jesus had all of the power. He had he, he right. He could have called. He even tells Peter that I could call an army of angels if I wanted to, but that's not why I come. It's not the lesson I came to teach. That's not how this ends. You know that egotistical survival, primitive, fleshy thing in us that we feel gives us our identity. I, I, my recovery here has been a process of putting that thing to death and, and living more out of my spirit. And no, I'm not good at it, right? I'm better at it than I was. I'm not varsity at it. That's another thing Jesus said. He said, you want... He said, varsity in the kingdom of God, right? All the disciples are like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? How do we get to the top, right? How do I climb the pyramid and get to be president? And Jesus grabs a child, grabs a little kid, and, and he puts the little kid in his lap, and he says, if you can become like this child, then you, then you get it. And he says, not only that, but this is the entry point, right? This is this is level one and level fifty at the top. This is faith, childlike faith, and that's what it is. Is does that sound vague to you? Um, I would get frustrated with that as a as a guy who is wrestling with my faith, and, and I'm open to questions. So if any of the stuff sounds vague, like I'm talking out my ass, all right. Russ at ASI247.org because I that's how I felt sometimes. Some pastor or spiritual person would talk about faith and I would be like, You're just you're just speaking in vague generalities. And I'm not. Right? I'm not. There's something real and magical. I'll even use that word about getting to know the God of the universe, Father, Son, Spirit, Jesus is the face of God, God in human flesh, but the church has made Jesus really small. Um, they've kind of whittled him down to like, sort of like a CEO, right? He's like the, he's like the spokesman for Christianity. Uh, I feel like a lot of churches have done a disservice to the faith by doing that because Jesus is so much bigger God is so much bigger Father, Son, Spirit this chain of humanity that you and I are in the same story of continues on um, I didn't talk a lot about co-producers or how I'm going to pay for all this 
Um, but ASI247.org, I, I, I don't care, right? <laughs> like, I feel the weight of it, but I'm not here to, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with where, where everything's at right now, which is a good, healthy place. I can take a deep breath and feel like it's going to be okay. And I would say that to Miss K too. Um, I would hope that your father would, would want to be your hero. Um, I really would. I, I want your dad to be your, have this thing in him. I, I would pray that his heart would be stirred to want to value you and be your man, right? Be the, the man, uh, the, you know, not Jesus. Again, you're not, not that he's going to be your savior or anything like that, but be your dad, man, you know? I pray that he would become that, that he would be that. But if he's not, and, and I, I, I pray that that's not the case, um, your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus Christ, your being around other safe, loving Christians can help be like family for you. And, and I've seen that in my own story. Um, my dad's not the most open person as much as I love him. And we have a fairly good relationship. Um, I'm going to be okay. Even if dad doesn't become emotionally available, you know, which I, I wish that he was. And I, I pray that he could still become these getting up there, but, um, I wanted to leave you with that, that Jesus can be your dad, right? That's the safe, easy answer. That's like the religious guy's answer. Um, it really is true, but that can be interpreted in so many different ways. And again, you know, CEO Jesus or, or dad Jesus, like, modalism, right? We put Jesus in dad mode and then he we wind him up. No. It's it's a very personal relationship. You walk with him, you pray to him, getting some time alone, getting some time to sit, reflect and contemplate on the blessings that you do have in your life and thanking your father for them. It's beautiful. And I pray that your dad could get to that point with his relationship with his creator as well. And I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but I would say to him that we are kindred spirits, you and I. Because I know where you're at and I've been there. And I have know guys who would say, oh, you know, the, it's like some kind of notches on the belt or, you know, I, I the harems. You know, I never found getting laid hard as a man, uh, you know, as a single guy. And then even, sadly, as a married guy, that's not something that I, I had a problem with. Uh, but that's not valuable. 
that when when, it, when you're on your deathbed and you want you're thinking about what you're leaving behind you're thinking about your legacy you're thinking about who you love the value that you want to continue with man i'm not going to probably die with a shit ton of money for my kids to inherit all right but if there's anything that my kids could inherit from me it's value that people that relationships are important that they have way more value than stuff and that the biggest most valuable relationship of all is our relationship with our creator who who infuses me with more love than i deserve and and and, and gives me the love that fills up my tank and when my heart if my heart was a smartphone and it started beeping and turning red and the is yeah we're powering off soon christ is there and and it and it fills that and i don't know where that comes from and i have no logical explanation and i can't put that in some kind of a sociological or psychological box for you it's just true and it's that loving power that's in the universe that is god zach brown band they did a song with uh chris cornell from here in seattle he's the lead singer of soundgarden uh and the band audio slave um heavy is the head right that holds the crown that's some of this thing about control right we think we have control and heavy is the head that feels like it's got the crown. Um, and this would also be my challenge for Miss Kay's dad, if he's listening. Because the most valuable thing in the world was that would be that my little girl would think of me as, as her man before she's in a relationship or anything like that, that her her number one man on this earth would be daddy that's that's a value that's worth pursuing my daughter growing into a woman and the woman that she continues to grow into it's just this song brought me to tears and i'm gonna end this podcast i'm gonna end this show on this song and i i love Alicia, my daughter, so much. She's an awesome person, beautiful person, and I want her to know that her daddy um, will be her man for now. You know, I'm gonna be her man, whatever that looks like. I, I, I can't control it. I don't know the, the how she's going to ferment and distill over the years, but I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna be her man. Um. Love you guys. Till next time. Chase Bye. down your dreams. Laugh all the time and believe that love's gonna conquer all things. So until then, I'll be your man. There was a time when I thought I knew love until you came into this world. Time keeps on
Chance that you make, you know I'll be one call away. I'll always. 